thank you for the welcome. It's so good to be together this morning on the Lord's Day. How many of you are human beings? <laughs> All right, if you are a human being this morning, this is your story. Sit back and enjoy. <clears throat> Once, long, long ago, long before there was an earth or even a universe in which the world could exist, forever before that, there was one eternal spirit being. We call that eternal spirit being God. There was something extraordinary about God, the spirit being, and that is that this spirit essence that we call God was expressed fully and completely by three distinct personalities, each person truly God. We call this three persons in one spirit essence the Trinity. And these three persons truly expressed individuality and uniqueness. They shared their love for each other and their interests forever and ever. One of the ways they expressed their likes was to formulate together a plan to bring other things into being. And as a part of that plan, they decided that each one would take a different role with respect to what they had made. And so one decided to become known as Almighty Father. Another came to be known as word speaker. Yet the third came to be known as purifying presence. And so these three, one God, set about to carry out their plan. And word speaker spoke, and an uncountable multitude of finite spirit beings came into existence, and word speaker called them angels. And the angels rejoiced that they were alive. And they praised God that he had brought them into being. And then word speaker spoke again, and suddenly there were billions of galaxies spread out where there had been nothing before. And the messengers went wild. Look at that, they said. That is beautiful. And word speaker looked down at one of those mediocre galaxies in the midst of all this and saw there a blue dot, three spaces out from its sun. And word speaker, in continuation of their plan, said, let there be light on that blue dot. And there came to be light there. And word speaker said, that's beautiful. And word speaker said, let, let dry land appear on that little planet. And it did. And word speaker continued that for five successive days, each day declaring of what he had made, that's good. That's beautiful. And so triune God was very pleased with what had come into being, but word speaker wasn't through. On the sixth day, word speaker then scooped up a handful of soil and began shaping it, and shaped it into a handsome body. First man was there in form and shape. His skin was sort of a reddish brown, his hair was black, his eyes were very dark, almost black, his muscles bulged. And then word speaker bent over and went, whew, and man became a living, breathing person. And the first three-dimensional, visible representative of God was created on earth. And first man kind of blinked, opened his eyes, stretched, and tried out those brand new muscles, looked around at all that was around him and said, wow, it's good to be alive. That's beautiful. And then word speaker took first man and led him to meet the animals and asked him to name the animals. And first man did. He named everything there was to name according to its kind. 
And when he got all done, he knew something he hadn't known before. And that is that he was the image of God, but the animals weren't. He recognized that there was a world of difference between him and the rest of the beautiful creation that God has made. He also noticed that he was alone. And word speaker said, we're going to take care of that. And he put first man to sleep, and he reached into his side, and he took out a big chunk of bone and muscle tissue and skin and hair and just the tiniest pinch of fat. And he took that and made it into first woman. And then he woke up first man, and once again, first man blinked his eyes, saw what word speaker had made, and said, wow, now it's really good to be alive. That's beautiful. And Almighty Father and word speaker and purifying presence smiled at each other and in one chorus of voice said, that's very beautiful. And the secret that made them sort of wink at each other, that they never told first man and first woman, was that they had placed inside of almost every cell in those new bodies the coding that was necessary for them to procreate and produce new life joining with God in the creative act. Not only that, WordSpeaker had placed in that coding the potential for every color of human skin, every color of human hair, every color of human eyes, every height, every weight, every shape. The potential to learn all kinds of languages, to develop all kinds of cultures, the potential to be artists, engineers, farmers. All of those things were incorporated into the cells of those two people but they weren't aware of it because they were just standing there gazing into each other's eyes. Well, you know, sadly, during the course of time, first man and first woman rebelled against God, and all relationships changed at that time. They changed so seriously that first man and first woman started quarreling with each other, even more seriously when, according to the plan of word speaker, Almighty Father and Purifying Presence, they did produce new humans just like themselves and pass their sin to them. Humans began to betray the love that the triune God has for life and to take life from other people. Murder came upon the face of the earth. And triune God in the person of the Almighty Father, word speaker, and purifying presence looked upon one another very sadly and they began to cry. They wept, but they did not despair because they still had one more secret. And that secret was a plan to bring new life to humans. But that's another story for another day. Today our story is simply, God loves life. He loves human life. That was an abridged version of some beautiful prose of a creation story and the very character of God himself that my old seminary professor, Dr. Jack Wilsey, wrote. He was a man who just demonstrated profound love for the Lord and the Lord's human life in his theology classes, especially in the study of anthropology. Anthropology is a fascinating field of study. Literally, it means the study of humans, of mankind. Biblical anthropology is the systematic study of the Bible's teachings concerning humanity. And it's a glorious study because it reveals so much about our creator himself, about his design, love for us, his purpose for us, how the entire world fits with his design. 
and it speaks of our value to him. As you've heard, this is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. We share this date with the entire Christian world, the entire world who cares about life. And on this Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, I want us to discover that a Christian anthropology reveals a God who is entirely devoted to a culture of life, a culture of life. While Satan generated philosophies and ideals and theories, perspectives contribute to a culture of death. The two are opposed in every aspect of society. Understanding the difference between God's culture of life and Satan's culture of death can save lives, literally, and it can lead to human flourishing. That is our aim today. Now notice how the Bible begins. It's already on the screen. Very first words of God's revealed word. In the beginning, God. God created a beautiful culture of life. But from nearly the beginning, God's beautiful love for life was assaulted by Satan and his culture of death. And that is our first point today. If you have your sermon notes and you want to pull those out, if you don't have them, Aaron is walking around. If you just raise your hand, he's happy to give you a bulletin with those in them. And that's the first thing that you'll see where we have to start. We started with the creation of the universe and the special creation of humans. Now we go right as Genesis 3 does, God's beautiful love assaulted by Satan. And so we've all asked these questions. Why do we have to hurt? Why do we have to die? Why do we sin and love it so much until it hurts and then hate it but have such a hard time stopping why do we struggle with all of these things? Why are humans so opposed to life? Here's where it all went wrong. Genesis 3 records the source of sin and death. Here's where it came. We'll read these verses again that Ben just, ben just read a moment ago, but with a special attention to, to some things in it. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden? Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Uh, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So there's the deception. And here's the response. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes... And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise of these things. She took of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. This was the time when sin entered the world and death through sin. The entrance of Satan here marks the beginning of all chaos in creation. It didn't exist before this. Satan tempted Eve to mistrust God's promise by changing its meaning. He says, you will surely not die. This is, this is the epitome of Satan's schemes right here. Right up to today, all through time, right up to today, that you can do whatever you want, that you should be empowered. Empowering yourself is the greatest good, that God doesn't really know best. You do. And nothing that happens is really that bad. And we've been falling for it 
ever since. This is the beginning of humanism. When humans worship and give glory to themselves, the creation rather than the creator. And it's inside of every one of our hearts, the allure to it. The Bible teaches that Satan is the father of lies and a murderer from the beginning. This is the account and the narrative of Genesis. Jesus states it in John 8, 44, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So I want to expose Satan's culture of death that he's been deceiving all of us for, for the entire existence of humanity since the fall. We learn throughout Scripture that Satan is opposed to everything that God is for, including the reproduction, peace, and purpose of human life. He wants us to suffer, to become addicted, to devalue life, to be nihilistic about life and sex, to destroy, to murder, and then ultimately to die. That's what he wants for us. The trouble is that he disguises himself as an angel of light, and his messengers describe themselves as messengers of righteousness. This is right. Everything God is opposed to, this is right, and it looks so good. And they are very good at leading masses of people to the wrong ideas and to worship the wrong things. And the world has fallen for this, and it's come to glorify death, violence, sexual brokenness. And that's demonstrated in every aspect of life, in our schools, in our politics, especially in the media that's there for us to consume. We must not be among Satan's prey, those of us who have been revealed to the truth and have believed it. No, instead, as 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, we don't just sit passively. We don't fall to Satan's prey. How does Paul say our response? He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. There's our response. We bring life and truth and hope into the world, into the mess, into the chaos, and that only exists through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the answer to all of life's problems, all of humanity's struggles, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is infinite sin-cleansing power in the blood of Jesus that was shed for us to wash it all as white as snow. There's life-giving power in the gospel of Christ. There's Holy Spirit's power in the gospel of Christ. And we need to embrace that mission to proclaim that to the world. Have we accepted that mission from Jesus, Christ's followers? Well, that's what we have to offer the world, and that's the condition of the world. So let's now see more of what God's word says on this topic. We've seen that God's beautiful love for human life is assaulted by Satan every day. The next thing we need to understand is that God's beautiful love is seen in human value. This is where it gets really good when we understand what it means that we are the image bearers of God. So let's talk about this. First statement is all human beings are of equal value in the eyes of God. Let me repeat that again and get an amen. All human beings are of equal value in the eyes of God. Amen. All human beings. You have just said amen to that. 
Genesis 1, 26 and 27, on the sixth day of creation, says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the ultimate basis for the value of human life isn't anything that we do or how good or successful we are or what we can produce. It's who we are. It's the fact that we are image bearers of God that he created specially for that. This is why God is so against people worshiping idols. I was just reading the Ten Commandments, the second commandment, don't make any idols. And he came down so hard when people do because who are the images? Who are the idols? Who are the images? We are. He's created us to be the images. So we shouldn't be making other images Seven billion images of God cover this earth right now. Giving glory to God, the creator, whether they know it or not. And this is why God takes murdering another human very seriously. This is why we are entirely pro-life of all humans. The unborn, the severely handicapped, and elderly who can't take care of themselves. Victims of unjust wars, those left orphaned. Those involved in human trafficking and injustices of every kind, all human life is valuable. All. Let's consider some of those more closely as we seek God's leading of what we should do about this truth and his calling. God and his true people will start with orphans. We have a heart for orphans. And this church has demonstrated that very heart, God's heart, well, there are over 200 million orphans in the world, 120,000 in America, and we'll talk about that a little bit later as we close with some next steps. Next, I want to draw attention to persecuted Christians, and this gets special attention in the world because these are our brothers and sisters, and God gives them special attention. There are over 100 million persecuted Christians in the world, people who live with death just around the corner or persecution of all kinds. Thousands are martyred each year for their faith. And if you watch world news at all, you see those numbers are escalating right now around the world. Consider God's word to you today. Hebrews 13, 3. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. As though being hunted in the streets and separated from your families and imprisoned for your faith with them. Since you are also in the body. We need to be with them in their persecution and suffering and add them to our faithful prayers if that's not on your prayer list already. Likewise with slavery and human trafficking. You don't think slavery is over in this world, do you? I hope not. There are over 40 million slaves in the world today, one million in America, working as prostitutes and laborers. That's an injustice that we need to care about. What can we do? We can do. We can do things, and we'll talk about that. One major contributor to human trafficking is pornography, this gratification on demand culture that we live in and has really exploded over this last year. It's a major contributor to human trafficking, and a Christ follower will fight this. Again, in our prayers and asking God, how would you lead me? 
to be involved in these things. Well, that leads us to the unborn. And you've likely heard the stats. 42 million abortions per year around the world. 61 million babies have been aborted in America since 1973, Roe versus Wade. Around a million every year. Around 3,000 a day in our own country. That's the number of people who died in the 9-11 attacks. Every day that many babies die are killed in the what God designed as the safest place for a human to be in a mom's womb. Here in America, where every citizen is supposed to be guaranteed the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, what does God feel about the immensity of this culture of death? He shows us in Scripture over and over how he feels about it in his judgment on nations who shed innocent blood. And guess what? That's our nation. And I believe it's pretty clear we're heading into a season of God's judgment, a nation who kills so many. What does God say about human life before birth? Let's see what the Bible says. The Bible teaches unequivocally personhood before birth. And you've got to know this. The unborn child is always considered a person in Scripture. Lots of places. Psalm 139, 13 through 16 is the clearest for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. There's no question based on this. And then in every other time when a preborn, whether it's in the law or a narrative, when there's a preborn pregnant woman, baby in the womb, no distinction is ever made between the preborn and the, and the children. They're always the same words. They are all jumping in the womb, being known and loved by God. They are children. And that's God's heart and his truth. But listen to this. Science also teaches unquestionably, personhood before birth at the moment of conception. Now hear this. There is no scientific debate of whether embryos and fetuses are humans. Listen to this. They are human beings scientifically by virtue of having their own unique genetic makeup. They are not a part of mom's body. They have their own genetic makeup. An entirely new life, an entirely new DNA code begins at conception and this is an irrefutable fact of biology, and even uh, every honest abortion advocate concedes this simple fact that scientifically a fetus is a full human. It's just a matter of how big they are, how developed we are. However, what they claim is often that the human is not a human person. All right, follow this logic. This is because personhood is considered to be functional rather than essential. That means the function of what they can produce rather than the essence of what they are. And here's the deception. This is the heart of the matter. Does personhood and value come from the function that you add to society? A lot of people would say yes. Or does personhood and value come from our essence as who we are simply as being humans. God says the latter. Every human value comes from him, 
being his image bearers and being loved by him. God is 100% pro-life in all circumstances. He loves all human life, and all human life is sacred to him. But that is assaulted in our culture for a lot of reasons. Again, that humanism, lifting ourself up and our own comfort, our own desires. So what can we do? How can we grow a godly culture of life? And all we're responsible for is what God has made us responsible for. These are very heavy things, and you can think of the amount of death and be crushed by that. Don't be crushed by that. God is sovereign, and he bears that that load, but he has called us to certain things. Here are some next steps that I urge you to take in light of this, who we are, who we've been called out of the world to be. First is to educate myself further. There are so many great resources. You know, I've been tracking this for for a long time, and the pro-life movement has exploded in the last generations. It's always fought against the injustice of abortion since 1973 when it was legalized, but it's, it's gained a lot of steam uh, as more and more abortions, you, you, people have, have siblings that were aborted and they become adults and they know that that, that isn't right or maybe they survived an abortion. They're, and then and the pro-life movement has been active and you've seen the number of abortions decrease um, 500,000 in a year from its peak in the 90s. And I, I just want to praise God for that. There are, there are significant successes in that. So educate ourselves on this. There's so much more still uh, in the spiritual warfare. I just gave two great resources, the 33-minute video, the 180 movie. You can look at it and watch it for free on their website, 180movie.com. And uh, that's not suitable for young children, so be careful for that. But Randy Alcorn's small book, I think, is the best single straightforward resource uh, for us to use. And I would recommend those too. And then you help educate others by sharing these things and just your, your knowledge of Scripture. Come out as pro-life on Facebook. That might be a big step for some people. Uh, in work discussions, you know, with your family, whatever, be a champion for God's beautiful love for human life. That's what our calling is. We can also make a difference by supporting life-oriented ministries. And there are lots of those. And I don't want to assume that everybody's familiar with some of these in our own community. So I'll start with Heartline Pregnancy Center. I took a tour of Heartline last week, and I met with their executive director, Dave Kuntz, and met all their staff, including our own Brian Faust, who works there as their men's director. And that was a lot of fun. We've been uh, supporting Christian pregnancy centers for years and years in Washington State. And these centers literally save lives and change lives with none less than the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel's power, and the love that, that they receive. Here are some uh, tremendous services that Heartline offers. Just so you know, these are available right down the road from our church. Medical services, consultations, parenting classes, maternity, baby, and child supplies up to five years old. So it's not just about getting them born. They care, they help care, and the church helps care, and Christians who are following Christ help care, uh, no matter how old the kid is. But they have a beautiful store. If you or anybody you know uh, just doesn't have the means to care for a baby, just urge them. The means are out there, and they're right here uh, as one. Counseling and mentorship for women and for the men, too, the guys that have no idea of the value of life and no idea how to be a dad. So go Brian. Let's pray for him. 
They have teen parenting programs. They have ultrasounds. Ultrasounds save lives. When people are considering abortion and they see a picture of their baby like this, and this is a picture of our own Zach and Heather Corpse baby who is going to be out of the womb with us in a couple months. And uh, when just the stats show that if, you, if a, somebody sees their ultrasound picture, um, they decide they choose life. Vast uh, more numbers. And so we support ultrasound machines and mobile ultrasound buses. It's a major way to save lives. And finally, I'm so glad for this one, is their abortion recovery ministry. That's for women and men who have had abortions in the past. And I would offer that same counseling here in the church, but they're the experts at that very thing. Because here's the thing, when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, you need to know this as Christ followers, or as people considering following Christ, you need to know this. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross, that is infinitely powered blood that wipes away all sin, guilt, shame for anything. Now, I've walked with brothers that have gone through this before, and it takes a while to really, truly grasp and accept that. And I just want to challenge you today, hear the word of God, be touched by the Holy Spirit. That shame and guilt is gone if that's in your life. You accept that sacrifice that Jesus made on your behalf for that. And we don't hold anything in judgment for anything in the past that's been washed away by Jesus. But here's the thing, with the fact that up, upwards of 30% of women in America at some time will have an abortion, so the stats say, that means there are people in this church who are affected by this, who have this in their background, and so our hearts of compassion need to just explode, pour over all of these people that we know could be people here could be people in our lives, in our family, in our workplaces. This is following Jesus for real. Okay? This is, this is God's power. Amen? Amen. Prayer is the most powerful thing we can do. Don't ever underestimate that. And there is a prayer meeting at the Capitol Building next Saturday that Right to Life Northern Indiana is putting on. That's this coming Saturday at 1230. I'd love to see you there. As uh, I think they said, it's a 30-minute prayer gathering to pray for life. Next, next is Destiny Rescue. I just want to mention real quick, we are reviving a partnership with this large and awesome global force against human trafficking. Uh, I praise God for the attention that that is getting uh, in, our, in our culture, that awareness. We, we absolutely need to be supportive of this work. Uh, check out their website. And that's all I'm going to say about that right now, but we're going to fight the enslavement of human trafficking, pornography, and those related things in this church as we go. And then consider adoption and fostering or support those families who do. God declares that children are a blessing and he means it. So how do we apply that? Have more children. <laughs> Have more children of your own and or adopt or foster others as well. God will tell you when your quiver's full, but don't let the culture, which says children are a burden, tell you when your quiver's full. Thankful to report about our new Father's Heart ministry. It's off to a great start. And, and I just want to say, as I've seen what they've been producing, anybody considering adoption or fostering in this church is in very good hands um, through them. So praise God for that. Trust Jesus Christ as my creator, Savior, and Lord. He created you. Will he be your Savior and Lord from all sin and give you a new life? I'm going to pray right now. And 
ask the Lord to bless this and give you a chance right now to go ahead and ask him to be your Lord and Savior. But I also want to say if any of these things are hitting very deeply in your heart, come up after the service is over. I and any elders that are here this morning will meet you over here to pray over you right now and begin to watch your transformation in these areas, whether that's power uh, to be bold for someone else or things that you're dealing with in your own life. Please let us pray over you at the end of the service today. Let's pray.